Who has been paintballing before? Paintball? Played paintball? A couple people? Yeah? It's fun. Jesse's back there like, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah? It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, the first time that I played paintball, I was like nine years old. It's pretty young. I didn't know. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I have an older cousin. His name is Will. He's like two and a half or three years older than I am. And he and his dad, my uncle, were going to go and play paintball. And he had some friends that were going to go. It might have been like for a birthday thing. I don't know. And he was like, hey, man, you should come play paintball. And so I asked my dad, is it okay if I go? My dad said, yes. My dad, he took me and we went to play. And again, I'll be honest, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Not a clue. Uh, they gave me like the mask, you know, and I got it fitting in my face and they handed me the gun and I took a few like practice shots on a tree and I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is so cool. Complete, just clueless about what was about to happen. Okay. So the game, the round starts and we spread out and we're in, in like the battlefield, you know, like in the woods behind trees and stuff. And so I find myself at one point behind a tree my back like I'm kind of squatted down my back against a tree and I'm just these paintballs are flying by like you know what I'm talking about still I'm just this clueless kid like this is so cool this is the coolest thing ever well this guy got around the other side of the tree started firing at me and one of those paintballs hit me right on the inside of the knee right here immediately immediately I was like oh no what have I done why am I here what am I doing this just distraught. I didn't cry, okay? I held it together. I wanted to cry, (laughs) but I didn't cry. And so I was like, okay, oh no. So I was out, right? And uh, after that round was over, the rest of that afternoon, I played paintball like the biggest chicken ever. Like I I just, I didn't want to be there. I was so afraid of getting hit by another paintball. At one point, I was with my Uncle Paul and we were going and we were running around in the woods. I was behind him and all of a sudden people started firing at us again. And it's like slow motion, the bullets, the paintballs, right? And so it kind of like, we got away and it kind of calmed down. And I took this as an opportunity to get out of the game. I looked at my uncle and I said, hey, one of the, one of the paintballs hit me. I'm out. <laughs> I lied. It didn't hit me. I just didn't want to play. I was just done with this. So I told him, hey, I got hit. He said, okay, we'll go to the safe zone. I was like, okay. So I ran off to the safe zone. Like, okay, I'm not playing anymore. I'm out. Well, I got into uh, what I thought was the safe zone. Took off my mask, had the gun hanging down by my side, you know, just walking around. Completely chill, relaxed. Like, I'm done. I'm out of the, I'm out of the danger. I wasn't out of the danger, thought I was. All of a sudden, some guy ran up on me and started shooting at me again. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like, it hit me like once or twice. Thankfully, not in my face because I wasn't wearing the mask. It hit me in like the hand and somewhere else. And I was like, oh, I'm out, I'm out. And he was like, you're not in the safe zone. The safe zone's over there. I was like, oh, I'm still right in the middle of the battlefield. Like, I didn't realize that. And so I walked over to what was the safe zone. And finally, I was safe, right? I was in the middle of a live paintball battlefield. My guard completely down, my mask off, no armor, no weapons, nothing, right there in the middle, just chilling like a fool. It was so dumb that I did that. Um, Well, look, a lot of times in the Christian life, Christians, we can make a similar mistake. We can walk around life with our guard down, not realizing, not understanding that we are literally in the middle 
of a battlefield. There is this battle happening all around us. And, and really, like, there, there is not a safe zone to go to where this battle isn't happening, if that makes sense. All the time, all around us, we're in the middle of a live battlefield. And we make a very big mistake whenever we let our guard down and we just kind of nonchalantly walk through life not thinking about the danger that is present. Just like I was doing when I was a kid at the paintball, we can make that mistake as Christians in life. Just, just walking around thinking everything's fine, like there's no danger here, I'm not, even, I'm not even paying attention to that. That's a mistake. So just like I paid the price for it, and when I was a kid playing paintball, we can pay the price as Christians. We, we can walk into danger, and we're going to talk about this danger and what the battle is, and how to, we're going to talk about all this today. We have to understand that there is a battle happening around us. And if we're not careful, we're going to walk through the middle of it with our guard down. And our faith can be harmed. We can be hurt spiritually if we're not paying attention to this battlefield. So I want you guys to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. We're starting a new chapter. We're in this new series now in 1 Peter called Living for God's Glory. And that's what the whole series is about. How do we, as Christians, how do we live for the glory of God? How do we live in a way that makes God happy? How can we please God with our lives? And as people who, are, who love God, right, that's what we should want to do. We should want to please Him. We should want to make Him happy. We should want for Him to look at our lives and say, that is pleasing to me. I am glorified with this life. That should be our goal as Christians, as people who love God. So look, again, I'm going to say, I don't want you to make a similar mistake that I made, a similar thing when I was a kid playing paintball, my guard down. We have to understand that there's a battle. We have to have our guard up. We have to be ready for this so that our faith is not harmed. All right? So 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 6. It says this, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who was ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So this morning I want you guys to understand that you need to defend yourselves in this battle, this battle that we're in. And we're in this battle against sin, against sin, against temptation, against Satan, against demons, against all evil. We're in a battle against it. We have to defend ourselves against these things by having the attitude of Christ. So the verse says the same way of thinking, the same way that Christ thought, the same attitude that he had, the same purpose that he had. We need to have the same thing. We need to arm ourselves to get ready for this battle by doing this, by having the attitude of Christ. So in the verses that we read last week, it talked about how Jesus, how he suffered once and for all for sin, meaning that the, the righteous for the unrighteous. We talked about he's the righteous one and he died for the unrighteous, you and me. We are the unrighteous and he died for us. 
He took the punishment for sin that, that we deserve, and he rose again on the third day, right? And what he did is he became the triumphant one, right? He triumphs. He has the victory over all these things, over sin, over death, over everything, and, and so now what Peter's doing is he says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, right? Christ was willing to suffer. He was willing to go through everything that he went through for you and for me. He was willing to get made fun of and maligned, right? He was willing to go to the cross and be beaten and wear the crown of thorns and, and be nailed to the cross. He was willing to do all this so that you and I could find forgiveness through his sacrifice, is willing to suffer, is willing to do this. And Peter says, we need to have the same thinking, the same attitude, meaning that we, just like Christ, need to be willing to go through hard times because of our faith in Jesus. We need to be willing to go through difficult seasons, difficult days, because we love Jesus. We need to be willing to suffer for him. So he says, arm yourselves in this way. So to arm yourselves, this is, it means to get ready for a battle. And if you guys have seen a movie or watched a show or, or something about a battle, a battle was involved, there always comes a point where the captain or the lieutenant or someone looks at the soldiers that he's leading and he says, arm yourselves. Maybe he doesn't say that word for word. Maybe he says, get your weapons, get ready, get ready for battle, right? Even in the Avengers movies, Captain America, what does he say? Avengers assemble. That, you know what that means? Get ready for battle. One of the most epic scenes in the whole franchise, by the way, right? And he says, get ready for battle. We got to get ready. So that's what Peter is saying. Arm yourselves. Get ready because we are in a battlefield as Christians. And we have to understand that we have to protect ourselves and get ready to fight. So he says, do this. Arm yourselves. All right, so, okay, let's talk about this. What exactly is this battle that I keep talking about? What are we fighting? What's going on? Well, I hinted at it. It's this battle against sin. We are in a battle against Satan, against evil. We're in this battle. Now, maybe that's confusing because last week we talked about how Christ already won. Christ is the triumphant one. And that is true. Christ has triumphed. Christ has defeated Satan. He is dead. He, he is done for. All right? He is he has lost. I want you guys to think about this though, okay? Has anybody ever killed a snake before? Raise your hand if you killed a snake. How do you kill a snake? With a shovel and you do what? You chop off its head, right? Okay, that's how, that's how you properly kill a snake. You throw it, it might survive if you do, I don't know, right? Someone, by the way, someone last night, if I don't know if you were here, someone last night said that you kill a snake uh, by, by boiling it. No idea. Never heard that before. But that's not what I had in mind, okay? You just, you just cut its head off, right? That's how you properly kill a snake. Say it again. It can. That's exactly what I was about to say. You cut off the head of a snake to kill it. What are you supposed to do with the snake head after you chop it off? You don't just throw it, you don't just throw it away. There's something specific that technically you're supposed to do. Say it again. Bury it. Why should we bury a snake head? So it doesn't bite anyone, right? Now that snake is dead. If you chop off the, the, the head of the snake, it's not still going to be chomping. Like it's dead. The body is going to be wiggling around. It's kind of creepy, right? But the head is, is done. But this is especially true for a venomous snake. You know what venomous means? It has venom in its fangs. Even though its head is chopped off, if someone was to be walking around in bare feet and step on that snake head and the tooth, the fangs were to go in the foot, the venom could still hurt a lot. Someone, you could actually die 
if you step on a venomous snakehead and the fangs were to go in you, okay? So even though it's defeated, even though the snake is dead, if its head is still lying around, it can still cause harm, right? We need to see Satan like that snake, that he has his head chopped off. He's done for. Christ has won, okay? But while we live here on the earth, okay, the Bible says that, that Satan is the prince of the earth. Satan, God is allowing him, all under God's control, by the way. God is still in control. But God is allowing Satan to go and, and tempt, and to tempt, and to push, and to influence, and to do what he, what he does best, which is to, to push towards evil. Right? So it's like he, his head is cut off, but he still is able to do a little bit of damage. Now, we don't have to be overly concerned about this because we know that in the end, God wins. In fact, he has already won. That's exactly what the resurrection shows, that Jesus has won. But while we're here on this earth in our fallen bodies where sin still happens, we have to be careful because Satan, he's still, his head is cut off, but he still is able to do a little bit of damage to us. And we have to be aware of this. So we're in this battle against evil, against Satan, where he can tempt and his demons can tempt. And to be honest, though, the Bible actually says that it's not always Satan and demons that tempt, but because even as Christians, because we still live here in this sinful body, we still have this sin nature, right? Sin and temptation can even come from our evil desires and our passions. So it's not always Satan tempting you. Sometimes it's just because we're sinners, okay? But the point is we're in this battle, against sin, against temptation, and we have to arm ourselves. We have to be ready to fight, be ready to defend ourselves against all of these things, against these temptations. And so Peter says to get ready for this battle, to prepare, we have to have the attitude of Jesus. To have the attitude, the, the, the same thinking of Jesus. So I already said, we have to be ready to go through hard times because of our faith in Jesus. We have to be ready to experience hardships because we love Jesus. We have to be ready to do this. So Jesus was killed for doing what is right. Ultimately, he never did anything wrong. He was completely perfect. He suffered for righteousness sake and we have to be willing to do the same exact thing as Christians. So I want you to think about this, okay? The Christian, the, the person who has put their trust in Jesus and this person has, has made up his mind or made up her mind and said and, and prayed to God and said, I'm gonna obey you, God, no matter what, no matter how much ridicule I face, no matter what people say, no matter what, God, I'm going to obey you. That's my commitment. I am committed to obeying you no matter what happens to me. That person, that Christian who has that attitude, the attitude of Christ, shows that they are growing in their holiness, right? It takes a, a mature, a spiritually mature person, a Christian, to, be, to say that to God and to mean it. God, I'm going to obey you no matter what. No matter what comes to me, no matter what the cost is, I'm going to obey you. So that shows that this person is, is more concerned about pleasing God than doing what they want to do, than doing what their flesh, what their sinful desires are, right? We need to be more concerned about pleasing God, about living for His glory, than we are about fulfilling our sinful desires and passions. So what, what Peter is saying is, you got to get ready for this battle against sin, by having this attitude, this, this purpose, this perspective. When we pray to God, we need to say to God, God, I would rather get picked on and made fun of every day for the rest of my life than do something that's disobedient to you. 
I, I would rather go through hard times. I would rather have no friends. I would rather do that than disobey you. That's how much I love you, God. That's how obedient I want to be because I want to bring you glory with my life. That should be our goal. And if we go through life having this attitude, then we're going to be prepared for this battle. We're going to be prepared to face temptation, to face whatever Satan throws at you. We're going to be prepared in this battlefield. So we have to arm ourselves this way, right? And so Peter, what he says here is, whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now some people, some people are going to say that this means that after you put your trust in Jesus, you, it's possible for you to stop sinning completely. And they'll say, if you sin still, that means that you don't have enough faith, that you're not praying enough, that, that's not, that, that, that you just need to pray more, or maybe even you're not saved because you still sin. I'm just telling you, if you've ever heard that before, that's false. That's not correct. People will tell you that, that, oh, after you become a Christian, there are people out there who will look you in the eyes and say, I'm a Christian now, so I don't sin. They'll say that. But guess what the Bible says? Whoever says that, they're a liar. <laughs> that's what the Bible actually says, okay? So look, when Peter says that this person who suffers has ceased from sin, it doesn't mean that you're going to have no more sin. But that's not what that means, okay? It's saying that... Christians are dead to sin. It's saying that sin no longer has the ultimate power over us because of the triumph of Christ. Because Christ has the victory over it, we are no longer, we're no longer dead in that way. Right? Dead in our trespasses and sins. If we put our trust in Christ, He has the victory. Okay? So that means that when we die, when God says our time here is done, like we talked about last week again, we're not going to experience God's judgment, the punishment against sin. We have eternal life because of what he's done. So this doesn't mean that we're going to sin no more while we're here, but it means that sin does not have power over us in, in a final sense anymore. Okay, And so what this also is saying to us is that it's possible for us to say no to temptation. In fact, that's what Peter's getting at, is he says, you need to live the rest of your days for God's glory. And if we're going to do that, we have to be determined to say no to temptation. So here's point number one, okay? I want you guys to remember that you can always escape temptation. You need to remember, you can always escape temptation. In this effort, right, to give God glory with our lives, to live every day for the glory of God, when we are ready, we are arming ourselves with this attitude that we're willing to do, to go through whatever, because we just want to obey Jesus all the time. We got to remember, you can always escape temptation. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I want you to write that reference down. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God never allows you to be tempted by something that you can't say no to. We have to establish this, first of all, God does not tempt God is not the one throwing temptation at you, and it's not like he's testing you up there saying, oh, I'm going to push towards temptation to test them. God does not do that. Write this down too. James chapter 1 verse 13. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, 
I am being tempted by God. He himself tempts no one. God is not the one tempting. That is, like I said, Satan, Satan's demons, his henchmen, or you're being tempted by your own sinful desires, but never God. Okay? But God, in his faithfulness towards us, because he loves us so much, he, he does allow us to face temptation, but he always provides a way of escape. That means every single time you face temptation, every single time, there's a way out. So that means that you never have to sin. You never have to do it. You, there is never a time where your back is against the wall and you have only one choice and the one choice is sin. Never happens. Have I said that enough? It never happens. There's always a way out. There's always a way. Hear what I said? There's always a way out of temptation. All right? So we've got to remember this. Every single time, no matter where you are, when you're alone, when you're with family, when you're with friends, when you're at school, when you're at church, whenever, whenever you're tempted to do anything, to gossip, to lie, to steal, whatever, there's always a way of escape. Have you guys ever heard of um, the Google Glass? Google Glass? Have you heard of that before? I'm surprised Jack hasn't heard of that. Never heard of Google Glass? 2013. 2013. How many of you guys were alive in 2013? All of you were alive then, right? How old were you in 2013? Four, two. Wow, that's crazy. You guys were like a little bit older than Noah in 2013. What grade was, was I in in 2013? 11th grade? Yeah, yeah, 11th grade, I think. Man. You were five? He finally did the math. He got the math right. It took him that long. It's okay. I'm not good at math either, okay? Um, 2013. Listen. Google, the, the big company that we all know and love, Google, they decided to, to launch this product that was going to change the world, right? They always say, this is going to change the world, called the Google Glass. No, no, no. It was, listen, smart glasses. Smart glasses. It, it was a thing, and it failed miserably. It was not good. You guys, listen, listen. Later, not right now, later, you can go online and look at what, what it was. They were the most hideous glasses I've ever seen. And it had this little thing in the corner that had like a little projector screen and you could look through it and see. And it was, it, the concept is really cool. It's super cool. So when you get a text message, it would pop up and it, you could read it to you. you. You could actually like video call people from it and they wouldn't see your eyeball. It'd be weird, but they would see what you were looking at, right? So there's really not whatever. You see how it's a cool concept, but it's not super practical, okay? Well, this thing called Google Glass, it failed. You can't buy it anywhere. But while I was looking up at Google Glass, I saw a video that Apple, Apple is coming to save the day. Apple is about to come out with, wait, 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 with the smart glasses? I don't know. We're not talking about the vision stuff. We're talking about, we're talking about glasses, you seen it? You can go look up a video. What'd you say? It's a it's a legit thing, and and apparently it's coming out in 2025. It's pretty cool. So look, look here. Here's the concept. Listen, here's the concept. Look, listen, listen. Look here, look here. Here's what it's gonna be. It's gonna be regular pair of glasses. If you need glasses, like right now, I can't see anything because my eyesight is really bad. If you need glasses, I well, you're front row. I can see five, but back there, no clue how many fingers that is. Now I see it's two. Okay. 
the, the Apple glasses, the Apple smart glasses, okay? Normal glasses, if you need them, you can put your prescription in the frame. You can actually order what you need in the frame. Awesome. But they've taken the technology a little bit further and they've improved it to where somehow the frame is, is going to project what you need on the, the, the lenses. So if you get a text message, it'll pop up and you can see it. And, and, and you can do FaceTime and probably watch Netflix and do all this stuff from your glasses. Right? But the cool thing about it, listen, the cool thing about it is, is, listen, listen, the cool thing about this is it's not just like all of a sudden there's, there's like an iPad screen in front of you. Like it, it's, it pops up and it's transparent. So you can see through whatever pops up on the glasses. Okay? So if a message pops up, if, if someone was to text me and it pops up, I could read the message, but I can see through it and I can actually still see all your faces. Okay? It's transparent. Again, I don't know how it works, but it's going to be super cool, okay? Now look, I want you guys, I want you guys right now, listen, listen. I want you guys to imagine with me right now that you are wearing Apple glasses, okay? And you can choose to have like a screensaver, okay? You can choose what you see. You can choose words. And we all are going to have the words in our Apple glasses that says this, God has given me the way out. So everywhere you go, Everywhere you look, you're wearing these glasses, you can actually read that phrase, God has given me a way out. I want you to think about this. What do you think, how how would this impact you or or affect you if you were tempted and the first thing you saw out of your eyes through the glasses was that phrase, God has given me a way out? That'd be pretty helpful, right? Well, look, we don't need Apple glasses to do this. Right? Now, we do need it to actually see it, but we can have that phrase. We can have this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, in our minds. Like just, just there. We need to think about it and pray it all the time. And it's almost like we're walking around and we can see this phrase. It should be right here on the front of our minds all the time, every day. That way, when you are tempted, when you are tempted to sin, the first thing you think is, God has given me a way out. God has given me a way out. There is a way out. I do not have to do this sin. I do not have to do this. I can find the way of escape. I just, I, I just think that if we start to think this way, we're going to find the way of escape a lot more. When the first thing that we think is, okay, I'm being tempted, there's a way out. I've got to find the way out. God is faithful. He, is, he loves me and he's given me a way out of this temptation. We've got to think about it this way. There's always a way out. And it's super important for us to keep that in mind, that you can always escape temptation. You never have to sin. It's really important for us to remember that whenever we read what Peter says next. He says this, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So what Peter's saying there is the rest of the time that you're alive in this body, in the body that you have in the flesh, whatever time you have left, needs to be lived to the glory of God. needs to be lived not for your sinful desires, but for the will of God. And we know that God's will is good. It's perfect. That God's will is that he, he loves purity. He loves righteousness. He loves those things. And, and it should be our desire to be walking in God's will, doing the things that he loves, not the things that he hates. So whenever we say, this is what God wants for me, 
Every day, whatever time I have left, whether it's a day, a year, 50 years, however much time God has given you, it should be your goal to live for his glory the rest of the time. Not following your sinful desires, not falling for temptations, but saying the time that I have left is going to be lived for the glory of God. And this is how we get ready. This is how we prepare ourselves. We get ready for this battle. Saying, God, you've always, there's always a way out. I'm going to do my best to live every day for your glory, to, for you to be happy with me the way that I'm living. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and do that to the best of my ability. Because as Christians, it should be our desire to do that, right? If you say you've put your trust in Jesus, if you say that you love God, and if I was to ask you, do you love God, and you were to say yes, it should be your desire to live your life for his glory. You should want to do this. So we have to understand that whenever we put our trust in Jesus, when we say, God, I love you, life is no longer about you and me. If you would answer that question, yes, I love God, then guess what? Your life is not about you anymore. It's all about God. It's all about living for his glory. It's all about living for his will. Now look, I know that the way that that sounds, people will, will push back and say, no, that makes God sound like this evil king, this tyrant. Guess what? God's will is the best thing for you. Understand? The best thing for you to do is to live your life for the glory of God. That doesn't mean that you're going to get everything that you want. That doesn't mean that you're going to get the million dollars and get the nice car and get the big house. We've talked about this. It's not what that means. But it does mean that God knows what is best for you. We need to trust him with that. And say, God, you know what's best for me. So I'm going to live every day that I have left to glorify you. And I'm going to trust that as I'm doing that, that's the best thing for me. And if we have that attitude, we have that mindset, that's how we defend ourselves against sin. That's how we have this attitude of Christ that he was talking about. So we need to be living for the will of God in that way. Now here's another reason. Maybe you're thinking, okay, give me another reason. Why, why do I need to live my life this way? Peter gives us another reason in verse 3. Right? He says, the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. So what he's saying there is, think about all the time that you've already spent in your life doing what God hates. All the time that you've spent following your sinful desires, your passions, and then he gives a list of these sins, and these are prominent sins that show that the people who are doing them are all about what they want and, and their pleasure and what makes them feel good and what makes, what makes them happy, right? Think about all the time you've already spent doing all the sins that God hates. So Peter says, it, that's enough. It's, it's enough time. However much time it's been, okay? So think about it. If, if you here today, if you say, I'm a Christian, I love God, I put my trust in Jesus, 12, 13, 14 years old, however old you were whenever you put your trust in Christ, all the years before that, you were living in rebellion against God. Open, complete rebellion against God. In, in complete sin. And so Peter's saying, that's enough. That's enough time. You've already spent all that time, all those years doing that, now, with however much time you have left, like you may not have as much time left as what you've already lived. You just need to understand that, okay? I know that sounds morbid, but right now, one of the biggest lies that people your age tell themselves is, I have so much time. 
I'll think about that when I'm older. I'll think about that when I'm in college. I'll think about that when I have kids. When I get, I'll think about that later. Listen, you don't know how much time you have left. And I'm not telling you this to try and scare you, okay? I'm, tr- I'm telling you this because this is the truth. You need to think about this. So Peter is saying, you have already spent more than enough time living in rebellion against God. You, you've spent years doing that. And then think about the people who don't get saved until they're 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old. Like, thank God that he continues to save people. Like, people, people will get saved on their deathbed at 90 years old. And this happens, and praise God for that. But think about what Peter's saying here. All that time, 40, 50, 60 years, there's more than enough time that you've spent living in rebellion against God. It's enough. Stop it. And live for God's glory now with whatever time you have left. Now, if you've never put your trust in Jesus, enough is enough. So Peter is telling you, enough is enough. All the years that you've been living, you've been living them in rebellion against God. You've been living in complete rebellion. God, you've been saying, God, I know what your word says, but I don't care. I want what I want, and nothing's going to stand between me and what I want. Peter is saying, God's word is saying, enough is enough. So what you need to do is repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. You need to find forgiveness for your sin in Christ, the triumphant one that we are always talking about. Enough is enough. He is the victorious one, and you can find forgiveness there and you need to put your trust in him so look we've talked a lot about how christians need to be okay with getting made fun of we've talked about this and like i hope that's getting through you got if you say that you love god if you say you're christian you're gonna have to just be okay with people saying things about you and calling you names and calling you dumb you have to be okay with it because this is to be expected this is what's going to happen Well, here in these verses, Peter, he gives us another glimpse at something that might happen, that probably will happen if we are actually living our lives to the glory of God the way that we should. He says this, with respect to this, what he's talking about is is all the sins that that you've already done enough in your life, the sins that non-Christians are still living in, with respect to all this, keeping all this in mind, They, the non-Christians, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. That's that's how God's word describes the the sin, giving themselves over to, it's a flood of debauchery. That just means bad, 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 very, very bad. A flood of debauchery. It says they are surprised when you don't join them in that, and they malign you. So this means that sometimes when when non-Christians, when unbelievers invite you to participate in some kind of sinful activity and you say no, that you're not going to do it, it surprises them. Because they're thinking, wait a minute, I do this because it makes me happy. I do this because it feels good. I do this because this is, it's fun. I, th- why would you not want, I don't understand, why wouldn't you want to do this? This is just showing us that sin is so normal for non-Christians. This is just what they live in. It's, it's their lifestyle. So when you tell them, I'm not going to participate in that, they're going to think, whoa, wait, why? That doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't you want to do this? I'm telling you right now that it's fun. I'm telling you that it'll make you happy. I'm telling you that it'll make you feel better. It's shocking to them when you say no. 
Because these people are not concerned about God's will. They're not concerned about living for God's glory. They're only concerned about themselves. They're only concerned about their passions, about their desires, about what they want to do. And when you tell them, I'm not going to do it, really what we should be doing is not just saying no, but we should say boldly, confidently, I'm not going to do that because that's sin and I don't want to sin against God. Remember what Joseph said? We've talked about this so many times. Joseph in the Old Testament, the end of the book of Genesis, he said, how could I sin against my God? We need to think about that. When someone is trying to get you to join in with them, you need to say, no, I'm not going to do that because that's sin and I love God and my life is for his glory. That answer right there is going to shock non-Christians. It's going to surprise them. They're going to think, whoa, why? That should be our answer. And so what Peter says is after this happens, they might, they probably will malign you. The word malign, it means slander. It means make fun of. Again, he's telling us this this might happen. They're going to malign you. They might say things like, well, you must be stupid to believe that. You must be dumb if you think that that you can't do these things. I'm telling you, it's fun. Why wouldn't you want to have fun? They'll say things like, oh, I forgot. Christians can't have any fun. You're a goody two-shoes and blah, blah, blah. They're going to say things against you and malign you that way. But once again, we just have to say, I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to let it bother me because this is what Jesus said is going to happen. You're suffering for what is good. This is exactly what God's, God wants, right? This is what he says. Whenever you suffer for what is good, when people say this to you, that's how you know that you're doing the right thing. So they're going to malign you. They're going to they're gonna slander you. And just you got to remember, don't let it bother you. Be reminded that it means you're doing what is right in God's eyes. Now something else that they might do that unbelievers might do in in maligning you is they might say this. Well, come on, you goody two-shoes. Just do it one time. Just do it one time. Come on, you think you're better than me because you, you just try, just do this thing one time and you'll see, you'll see how fun it is. You'll see, just do it one time. You know what that's called? Peer pressure. You heard of that before? Peer pressure. Where your peers... Or people that you are in school with or go to church with even are trying to pressure you to do something wrong. It's called peer pressure. It's something that Satan uses. another way that unbelievers will malign you. So here's point number two. Never give in to peer pressure. Never give in to peer pressure. They're going to say, oh yeah, you should just do this. It's fun. Blah, 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 blah. They're going to do whatever. But honestly... Sometimes it doesn't even take them saying anything. It, all it takes is you being surrounded by this behavior. Right? Maybe you start to hear the words and the phrases that are being used by people your age and, and you start to feel left out or you start to feel like you're not cool so you decide to use the same words and say the same things. Or maybe it's about the TV shows and the movies they watch and you want to be in on the conversation so, so you decide to watch these inappropriate things so that you can be involved too. Or, or maybe you start to wear things that you shouldn't wear because you're trying to fit in. Or maybe you start to listen to music that you shouldn't listen to because you're trying to fit in. Like whatever, however this peer pressure comes, you have to understand that this is pressure from your peers, but ultimately this is temptation coming from Satan, coming from evil, to try and get you to sin. So you guys remember the apple glasses thing. What's the phrase? God has given me the way out. When you face peer pressure, when people are trying to pressure, when you feel pressure to do something that you know goes against the word of God, you need to think to yourself, 
God has given me a way out. I don't have to do this. I don't have to sin. I don't have to feel pressure. I shouldn't feel pressure because this is something that God hates. And look, this is, this is a major way. I want everybody to look at me right now. You're not talking to the person you're sitting next to anymore. This is a major way that Satan tries to get people, especially young people your age, to sin. Major. Who's honest enough right now to say, at some point, I've given in to peer pressure? Look around the room. Every single hand is up. Satan uses this. It's one of his tools to try and get you to sin. We've got to be on guard against it. We have to be aware. He wants you. Satan, the enemy, he wants you to feel dumb. He wants you to feel left out. He wants you to feel unpopular. He wants you to feel that. And he's going to try and use those feelings that you might have to push you towards sin so that you can start to feel like you're fitting in, to feel like your, your people like you or whatever it may be. He uses this. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the armor of God, right? And we're not going to talk about the whole thing, but here's what it says in verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Peer pressure, it's a scheme of the devil. He uses this, like I just said, to try and get you to sin. He wants you to see what other people are doing and to feel this pressure to then go into it. It's a scheme of the devil. You've got to be on guard against it. You've got to put on the armor of God. And in another verse in the same chapter, whenever it talks about the shield of faith, it says the shield of faith is used to extinguish the, the flaming darts of the enemy. That's, that's temptation after temptation after temptation. Your faith in God, that shield of faith, will guard you against temptation, against peer pressure, against all these things that we're talking about. So another way, right, whenever, whenever Peter says, arm yourselves, think about it this way. Every day when you wake up, you have to put on the armor of God. I mean, I know, that's not, I know you've heard that before, but listen, every day when you wake up, you have to put it on. And how do we do that? It's the shield of faith, right? Your faith in Christ. The helmet of salvation. First of all, if you put your trust in Christ. The sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. Are you reading the Bible? Are you waking up in the morning? Are you putting time aside at some point in your day to read the Bible, the sword of the Spirit? This is how we defend ourselves against the schemes of the devil. By the Bible, by prayer, by asking God to give us help to help us say no to temptation. We've got to understand that we've got to do this. We've got to defend ourselves against the schemes of the devil. And so something else that Peter gives us in verse 5, this, this will help us to say no to sin, it will help us in temptation, is to remember something. Is to remember this, what he says in verse 5. They will give account. This is talking about the non-Christians. This is talking about the people who are pressuring you to do something wrong. This is the people who are making fun of you because you're a Christian. Remember this, it's, as soon as you start to feel a little bit of a desire to do something that God hates, remember this, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Again, guys, Peter's reminding us of final judgment. 
We talked about if you put your trust in Jesus, like, we, like last week you're in the ark of salvation that he's provided. Jesus, you, you trust in him. You're not going to experience the, the final judgment in this way. You're not going to have, have God's anger, his, this punishment for sin. But people who don't trust in Jesus, the people who make fun of Christians, those people, they will face that. They are not saved from the punishment towards sin. And so whenever you're tempted to, to think like, oh, maybe I'll just try it this one time. Maybe they're right. Maybe I'll be cool. Maybe I'll make more friends. Maybe I'll try it. Remember that God's judgment is coming for these people. And what you're thinking about doing is sin. And we don't want to do things that are sinful. So look, don't worry. Don't worry about fitting in with the world. Look, again, if you are here this morning and you say, I love God, I am a Christian. You shouldn't be worried about fitting in. If, if there are people in your classes, on your teams, or whatever it is that you're involved with, right, and you don't really fit in with them, and it's because they're saying things that are bad, they're doing things that are bad, and you don't fit in, guess what? Good. Good. That's a good thing. You know why? Because the, the, the Bible says that the life of a Christian is going to be very different than the life of a non-Christian. So if you can look at your life and you can say, oh, that's why I don't fit in, Good. It's a good thing. Don't be worried about not fitting in. Don't be worried about peer pressure. Don't think about that. Just think like we're talking about. How do I give God glory today? How can I give him glory with the time that I have left? That should be our concern. And so Peter, again, guys, he uses this opportunity to remind his audience, to remind these Christians, these Christians that are going through a hard time. He reminds them, what the gospel of Jesus accomplishes, which is eternal life for those who believe. He says here in verse 6, for this is why the gospel was preached. This is why the gospel was preached. This is why Jesus died. This is why. Because God's judgment is coming. He died so that we could find forgiveness for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. This is why the gospel was preached, so that we could find eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So here's point number three. Trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. So look, when Peter says the gospel was preached to those who were dead, what he's doing is he, he wants these Christians to think about their friends and their family members who, who heard the gospel, who put their trust in Jesus, and then who died. Maybe they died from sickness or old age, or maybe these are people that were killed because of their faith in Jesus. Remember, that's what's happening, the dispersion. He wants them to think about salvation in those people. And, and, he's, and he's saying, he says this, even though they were judged in the flesh, they live in the spirit. Here's what this means, okay? Um, death is a result of the fall, right? Death is a result of sin. It was not a part of God's original design. Adam and Eve wasn't part of it, but when they sinned, death then became a part. And so when he says, judged in the flesh, he's talking about death. And so back then, around when Peter was writing this, people who were not Christians, one way that they would malign Christians and slander Christians is they would say, you guys are dumb, you guys are stupid, because you have all this talk about eternal life, but you're all dying. 
They say, you guys are dying. I'm watching you guys get killed. I'm watching you get sick and die. I'm watching you have hard times. Why are you talking about eternal life when this is happening? You're crazy for believing this. But Peter is saying, look, that's not the eternal life that we're talking about. We're not talking about eternal life here. We're talking about eternal life in heaven, in the presence of God. And so when he says, judged in the flesh the way people are, he's talking about physical death. Everyone who is born is one day going to die. Born on earth, going to die and leave the earth. He says, even though that's happening, that's not the eternal life that God is talking about. That, yeah, we're going we're to live and we're going to die, but after we die, we have an opportunity to have eternal life with God in the presence of Jesus, our Savior. And again, this is only possible if you will repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. So look, I want everybody to look at me one more time. You can find forgiveness in Christ. All the sin that you've ever committed, everything you've ever done wrong, can be forgiven if you will repent of it and you put your trust in Jesus. So Peter's trying to get his, his audience, these Christians, to just one more time think about eternal life, to think about eternity. To remember what Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm going to read it again. Listen closely. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a free gift. You put your trust in Jesus and you have eternal life. So look, if you have not become a Christian, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then you're not worried about temptation right now. You're not even thinking about it. You're not worried about peer pressure. But you should be concerned about this. Are you right before God? And if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, the answer is no. You are not right before God. And the only way to be made right before God is to trust in Christ. So I pray, my prayer, the prayer of all of our leaders in this room, all the Christians in this room, is that if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, you would do that today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the truth in your word that we've read this morning. I pray that we would understand that we are truly in a battle against sin, against Satan, that, that every day we need to arm ourselves, that we need, we need to be ready and prepared. We need to put on the armor of God because we know we're going to face temptation. But God, thank you that you have given the way out. Every temptation we face, there is a way out. Thank you, God, for being faithful to us in that way. God, I pray that we would be determined to live for your glory every single day with whatever time we have left, God. Help us to do it, to live life for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.